All right, grown-ups. Are you a thankful person? Real question for you. Now, I think it's very easy to give lip service to that question and to say, yeah, I'm a thankful person because, frankly, if you're comparing yourself to someone else who's not as thankful as you, you got some people in your life who aren't very thankful, it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm a thankful person, but genuinely, are you a thankful person? Maybe I'll put it this way. Do you have intentional rhythms built into your life where you know how to stop and rightfully reflect and give thanks to God for what he's done in your life? It's easy to say, yeah, I'm a thankful person, to kind of feel it somewhere inside of you. And that's good when you feel that inside of you. But, but do you have rhythms built into your life where, where you stop and intentionally say thank you for what you've given me and what you've done in my life? We're approaching the end of what's been a difficult year, 2020. It'll be one for the record books. Lord willing, we don't have another year quite as difficult as this one has been on many different levels for many years to come. There's a lot of reasons why the world around us would not stop to give thanks. In fact, there's a lot of reasons why the world around us would be full of bitterness and complaining right now. Is that not right? I mean, let's just kind of go through. Let's reflect, right? If we're just going to reflect and think about the things we could complain about, it's been rough. We've been in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't happen all that often. A worldwide pandemic, which, by the way, has, in, has affected many in this church and many in this church have lost loved ones, have said goodbye to folks for the last time. I know a sweet neighbor of ours who passed only a couple months ago, and just thinking, man, he, it really, it hit us hard. COVID's been difficult, and not only COVID, the actual virus itself, however, all of us are impacted in a lot of different ways. Experiencing loneliness, depression for many folks. I know I'm a pastor of this church. I know what's going on in life. I know how difficult this season's been. Many are experiencing economic difficulties, worries about will your job continue to be there next week or next month. There's a lot of things that are difficult. On top of that, you throw in a year that's been marked by racial division and, racial, and protests over racial division in our country. That alone, if that was the only thing we had this year, and we didn't have COVID, we didn't have an election or anything else, if all we had was the racial tension in this country, that would be reason enough for many of our hearts to be dismayed, to be challenged, and to feel like we got some real things to be bitter about. And then you throw in an election on top of that and the division of political instability and political just fighting. And then on top of all that, by the way, just to throw this in there, we're human. <laughs> and the human story is a story marked of the reality of sin and sin pervading every aspect of life, every aspect of creation in different ways, and just being human brings its own challenges. On top of everything else, I know many of our stories, there's other stuff going on. There's other family members who are struggling in different ways. Many of you are struggling with other illnesses and sicknesses that have nothing to do with COVID, but it's your story, and it's real, and it's hard, and it's difficult. There's longings, there's wants, there's desires that are unmet. If we were like everyone else in the world, today would be a great day to pause and complain. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. And yet we're not like everyone in the world, are we? We're Christians. 
And what that means is that we're completely set apart. The old is gone. The new has come. Something's changed about us from the inside out. The wiring of our body. Literally the, 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 the makeup of what we are and who we are and how we live life and how we see all of life is fundamentally different. So much so that in the midst of this, in the midst of all the craziness of 2020, Christians gather and sing hymns. <laughs> what other group does that? And they don't just sing hymns because their church tells them to gather and sing hymns. They sing hymns because they can't not sing hymns. If they didn't cry out, the rocks would cry out. That's a Christian. How does the Bible teach us to have a proper perspective in the midst of so much pain? The Bible teaches us that there ought to be a marked consistency of giving thanks to God in our life. This, this rhythmic pattern. And not only are we to have a heavenly vision for our life, but we're to have a, a thankful vision for our life. So much so that those rhythms and the habits of giving thanks to God actually form our faith. You know, it's interesting. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the faith that comes first, that, that grows, or it's the thing? Well, certainly God gives us the faith at first to give thanksgiving. But what we find is the more we give thanks to God, the more we stop and reflect and look at all that God's done and we give thanks to him, the more our faith grows. And then the faith stirs us on to more thanksgiving back to God. How does the Bible change our perspective? When I'm speaking about Christian perspective is the reality that we're changed, we're saved. How does it change our vision of life? How does it change our vision of how we engage the world? How does it change our vision of how we engage Black Lives Matter? I mean, I mean, if you infuse a Christian mentality of thankfulness to God, how does it change how we engage that conversation? How does it change a political conversation? How does it change how we talk to our neighbor about COVID? Because thankfulness impacts all of that and far much and much more. Today we're going to look at this amazing story in Luke chapter 17. We're taking a break for a few weeks. We're heading into Advent. We're going to take a break from Romans. We'll finish up Romans in the new year. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke 17. And if ever there is a story that epitomizes a thankful heart, what we can learn about God's heart for Thanksgiving, it's this. Luke chapter 17. Let me read the story to us. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through it. And then I want to foster today. This is my aim. So hear it clearly. I want us to leave today doing heel clicks out that door. <laughs> I want us to leave today so fired up for God and his faithfulness and all he's doing in the midst of our hardship and suffering that we can't help it. We've got to sing some praise to God. That's what I want to form today. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Interesting little footnote. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's 
let's walk through that story and make sure we get the details of that one. Because that's one that maybe you've heard before, but if you don't stop and really look at the details of what's going on, then you'll miss the whole thing. Jesus was walking, says verse 11, between Jerusalem, between Samaria and Galilee. Now, why is that an important detail? What's up with Samaria? Well, you've got to know a little background on Samaria and the people that lived in Samaria who were called Samaritans. There was an age-old feud between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews were the southern kingdom of Israel, and the Samaritans largely filled the northern kingdom of Israel. Originally, it was all united under King David and under King Solomon. It was just one big nation. But Solomon, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, he was a king who had some really great years, but towards the end of his life, he fell into a whole lot of sin and did some tremendous damage to the kingdom. And there was literally a civil war, and the, and, the, and the nation split into two different kingdoms. The Jews were in the south, and the rest of Israel were in the north. And in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was basically dominated by the Assyrians. A foreign enemy came over, and they, they captured the northern kingdom. And rather than taking them all away... What they did is they left some of them and then they placed other Assyrians in the land. It was a way of breeding their culture around the entire globe. They wanted to form the Assyrian culture wherever they went. And what happened is the Assyrians and the Jews that were living up in the northern kingdom, they mixed and they formed families. And the, the Jews who were in the southern kingdom who had never been, uh, never been beaten in war like that, they looked up to the, their northern brothers and they saw that they called them kind of like a half-breed. They were, they were like half-Jewish, half-Assyrian. And they looked down on them. And, then, and they thought, we can't have anything to do with them. And a faithful Jew living in, Jew, in uh, Judea in that time in the southern kingdom during Jesus, they would never go to Samaria. That's how hostile this was. There were wars between them. In fact, the Samaritans felt so much pressure that they couldn't be a part of what was happening in, in Jerusalem that they built their own temple they changed parts of the Bible to say that Moses actually didn't go on Mount Sinai, but he went to Mount Gerizim, which is in the northern kingdom. That's how hostile this was. Full separation. You can imagine living in that tension. And Jews would never go between Samaria and Galilee, and yet here's Jesus. How, how does Jesus handle ethnic tension? You ever looked at this? Here's what he does. He walks right in the middle of it. Where no one else will go, and he stands right there in the middle. Don't you love this guy? I mean, he had a plan. This is not accidental. He just happened to be walking there. He made a beeline straight through Samaria and Galilee. And as he's walking, he comes across a leper colony. Now, what do we know about leper colonies? Well, leprosy in those days was a... a a disease that could come in many different forms, pretty much any skin disease, any type of rash, anything that was abnormal on your body, it was all lumped together under this category of leprosy. Leprosy itself was incredibly damaging. It would cut off your nerve sensors and you wouldn't know when you hurt yourself. So if you stubbed your toe or broke a finger, you wouldn't know it and you'd end up deforming most of your body. It was a very deadly disease in those days. And so what they would do is they, they literally would quarantine. There's a word that we know a lot about. They would quarantine these lepers into leper colonies. They couldn't have anything to do with outside society. They had to live by themselves for their entire life. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you'd find out you'd have leprosy or some kind of skin disease because you'd be completely cut off from everything. You couldn't participate in the religious festivals. You couldn't participate in going to the grocery store. Nothing. You lived by yourself in isolation. So side note, we know what happens to people who are kept in isolation for too long. 
I just read a, a news article last night talking about what's happening in Japan right now, that in Japan there were more suicides in the last month than there were COVID deaths in the entire year <laughs> in Japan. Why? This, this is not make-believe. This is what happens when you isolate people and you quarantine people. So here are these lepers cut off from all society without hope. The one prayer every day these men would have had for their life, someone has to be able to heal me. That's it. That's what they live for. Someone can heal me. Then all of a sudden, this man comes and stops by. Now, they would have heard something about Jesus at this point. I imagine word would have traveled. It seemed that wherever Jesus went, the news about Jesus had preceded Jesus. You ever notice that? He gets there and the people already know what's coming. And so these lepers probably had heard about Jesus. Earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, he healed a leper. So you can imagine these lepers. Did you hear about this guy, Jesus? He healed somebody like us. No, he couldn't heal somebody. You can't heal leprosy like that. No, no. I, I heard it. I heard it from somebody. He healed a leper. And so there's this little bit of faith that's beginning to grow inside these lepers. But two years have passed since Jesus' ministry started. Jesus doesn't come by. By the way, Jesus is Jewish, so he's not likely to come between Galilee and Samaria. We're Samaritans, by the way, <laughs> the lepers would say. Not likely he's going to come up this way. Then all of a sudden, a man seen off in the distance. That's unusual. Travelers don't usually go this way. But this man comes, and he's got a handful of other men with him, these disciples. And, and Jesus, it turns out, is standing at the at the gate of this leper colony, he's looking out over these lepers, and, and the lepers don't quite know who it is yet, but something inside of them recognizes this is different. This man's not like the others. And then one of the disciples turns to Jesus, says, hey Jesus, you know, these are lepers. We're not supposed to get too close to them. And by the way, we're kind of in a Samaritan town. We're not supposed to get too close to them either. And as soon as the disciple said, hey Jesus, all ten lepers immediately know what's happening. They, were, they already knew it just from the presence of Jesus in their midst. And yet they heard one of the disciples say, hey, Jesus. And so now all ten lepers are racing as close to Jesus as they can possibly get. They look at him and they say, have mercy on us. See, that's an interesting phrase that they cry out, isn't it? It's not heal us. It's have mercy on us. See, they know the only thing that could possibly heal them is if God has unbelievable mercy on them. They've lived in the pain of this thing for far too long. They know deep down in their hearts that the only thing that changes their life circumstance is a God intervention. That's it. Nothing's going to change this other than that. We've been here. We've lived here. We're planning on dying here. The only thing that's going to change my circumstance is a God intervention. We know it. Have mercy on us. Jesus looks down on them, and I imagine Jesus first looking over the disciples, because he had a way of being rough on his disciples and saying something like this. Hey, do you guys think these guys are worthy of mercy? And I imagine the disciples kind of saying, oh, I don't know how to answer that. Because the disciples had been so trained that they didn't talk to Samaritans. They had been so trained that they didn't talk to lepers. They had been so trained that they didn't take that way. There were other roads that didn't go between Samaria and Judea. You think they're worthy of mercy, disciples? Disciples don't know how to answer that one. And then Jesus says, 
look, lepers, what are you supposed to do after you get healed? And they look to him and they say, well, we were told that once you get healed, you've got to go talk to the priest and the priest will look you over and, and he'll determine if you've really been cleansed and you can go back into society. And Jesus says, go do that. <laughs> go talk to the priest. And the lepers say, that's strange. Because usually in a healing, right, before, you want to be healed before you go talk to the priest. You don't want to go with a false positive, right? You don't want to go there like, and be, well, no, sorry, you haven't been healed. But Jesus says, no, go talk to the priest. It's almost like he knows what's going to happen. So the ten men walk away a little bit confused. They feel like they're doing what they're not supposed to be doing. And on the way, one of them stops and says, no, it can't be. The nine other men look back and they look at the one man and his face is radiating. His skin looks clear. He's, he's looking at his hands and he's rolling his sleeves up and the, the rash and the scabs that had been there, they're not there. And the other nine men look down at their skin on the way over to the priest and, and they start looking at their arms and they start looking at each other and all the, the scabs and everything from the leprosy, it's all gone. And they can't believe it. They all start ecstatically jumping in the air. Nine of them race to the priest and the priest is beside himself. He says, I can't even believe it. This is a sheer miracle. And the nine men, so excited with what's taken place, race back to their families, race back to their homes, jump back to the grocery store, everywhere where they wish they could have gone. They're so excited, they race out to go, to go on with all they can do now that they've been cleansed. But the one man can't even make it to the priest. The one man stops, and he's just beside himself, looking at his skin. He's saying, this can't be real. Just ten minutes ago, I was covered. And, and he slowly turns around and he sees Jesus still standing there over the fence. And he can't take his eyes off his hands and he, he walks back to Jesus like this, shaking, recognizing what's taking place. And he looks and he falls on his face before Jesus. Now the disciples are beside themselves at this point. They're, they're less confused about the miracle because they knew Jesus could do miracles. They'd seen that plenty of times. They're more startled that he would do it to a Samaritan. That's how stubborn their hearts were. I know that not from this particular text, but that's the theme we get from the disciples over and over throughout the Gospels. They were awestruck that Jesus would do this kind of stuff to Samaritans. Meanwhile, the Samaritan's just on his face before Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you can go. You've been made well. He said, we're not there nine. We're not there nine others who I've healed. Where are they? Is this the only one who has the faith to turn back and recognize what's actually taking place? Your faith has made you well. You can go. And on that day, that one Samaritan, while, while, while ten lepers had been healed and experienced the physical blessing, only one of them experienced true saving faith. While Ten of them experienced a new kind of life, living in a new blessing of having leprosy gone. One of them experienced something fundamentally different. A new life with God. A new life by faith. They experienced an entirely spiritual awakening, giving thanks to Jesus for what he had done in their life. What do we do with this story? You know, it's a simple little story. And on the one hand, you know, there's this, this theme that runs through this story of ethnic division, isn't there? 
You know, and many stories in the Bible have that. And I preach on that topic regularly, and I love pulling it out of passages like this. This was Samaria. These were Samaritans. And, and Jesus breaks right through ethnic division, right through racial division, stands and he shows up in the middle of it, and he heals, and he brings salvation, and then that changes everything. And very much there's this theme that Jesus is the solution to the ethnic division. Jesus is the solution to the ways that mankind divides themselves, isn't he? That's right there in this passage. But there's another layer, a very important layer here, of thanksgiving and gratitude. This story is about taking the time to stop, reflect, and actually turn back to God and say, well, that's amazing. And then falling on your face before a holy God and giving thanks to the one who did the miracle. This story is about learning how to give thanks to God. Very simple, but if we don't pause, it just becomes a story about something else and we go on with our day. We all might experience any number of blessings in our day, any number of blessings in this year, and go on with our day, speed through, race on to the grocery store, race on to everything else we've got to do in life. But one of us will stop Nine will race on. One of us will stop and recognize, and that one person that stops ends up getting the greater blessing, don't they? They end up leaving with something so much more than just the healing. No Christian should ever want to settle for a rushed and hurried Christianity, where we miss the reality of the invitation to, to dine with Christ, to celebrate what Christ has done with us. And the ability to stop and reflect is a very Christian virtue. I was talking with a friend a while ago, and this was a young man who had traveled the world, climbed mountains on every type of spiritual retreat. Not a Christian, but he had done, you know, more spiritual things than anyone I'd met. Young guy. He had, he had gone to the corners of the world, to, to secret mountains that no one had been to. And I was talking to him one day, and he said, you know, in Christianity, like, like how, how do you grow? How, how do you do these things? Is there a, is there a pathway to deeper... Uh, spirituality is what he was asking. And it's interesting, it, it's not about climbing mountains. It's not about seeking out gurus on the other side of the planet in Christianity. That's not it. It's really easy, actually. You've got to form rhythms in your life of pausing from time to time. And one of those rhythms is stopping long enough to say thank you to God. See, it forms something in you. God forbid that we live such a rushed Christianity that we never stop and actually learn how to give a little bit of gratitude back to the one who healed us. God's people have always had these rhythms built into their life. And, and we have actually not done ourselves a service. We've detached ourselves from a number of the rhythms that were built into the annual life cycle of Christians throughout the years. Through the Old Testament, God's people always took these rhythms to stop everything they were doing, disconnect from the regular of their life, because they know that the regular of their life has a way of getting so caught up with everything that has to get done every day. So they had these rhythms built in. There were these festivals. There were ceremonies, much like our Thanksgiving holiday we just celebrated. They had these rhythms built in where they stopped everything and they gave thanks to God. One of them was the harvest festival, which is what Thanksgiving is, by the way. Thanksgiving is a celebration of the harvest festival. It was the time in the fall when God's people would gather and they would, they would remember all the things that God had done, that he was the one who provided every bit of food they would ever have. And you know what they would do? They'd stop and they'd throw a huge meal and they would just eat. And in that celebration of coming together as a family and as a people of God, what they were doing is they were speaking back to God and they were saying, God, it's not us who have provided this food. 
I know we farmed the soil. I know we bought the groceries. I know we cooked the meal. But at the end of the day, it had nothing to do with us. You're the one who's provided everything. See, how, how easy it is, is it to forget that it's God who provides even the food we have, even the dirt we have to grow the food we have, the hands we have to shovel the dirt, to grow the food, to eat the food we have. See, God provides all of it. And there were these rhythms built in where they had to stop and actually say, thank you. When they celebrated these harvest festivals, these Thanksgivings in the Old Testament, it, they did three things really clearly. Number one, they stopped all work. You know, work is the number one thing that will distract you from giving thanks to God. And especially now, because we bring work home with us, right? We have our work on our phone. Rather than having desktops that you got to leave at the office, you got a laptop that you bring home with you. And so now, 9 o'clock at night, rather than stopping and getting before God with your Bible open, you open your laptop and you're back in work mode. But what the God's people in the Old Testament did is they stopped all work. Everything stopped. They took a true Sabbath. They actually brought their, their full presence before God. See, to have a presence before God, you can't have a presence before your work email. To have a presence before God, you can't have a presence to the text messages that are coming in. To have a presence before God, you need to pause work. The second thing they do is that they would include charity. They'd look out over those who needed help in their community. And they would give lavishly to them, financially, food, clothes, whatever was needed. They wanted to make sure that anyone in this season right now who there was any shortcoming, anything we missed during the regular rhythms of life, if we're going to give thanks to God, we're going to stop, we're going to look at what the needs are, we're going to make sure that everyone gets covered here, right? That's very biblical. No one goes without in the community of God. And when God's people stop to give thanksgiving, they take an actual check and they look around the community they write their pastor and they say, does anyone have any real needs? Because we want to lavish love on them right now. That's what God's people always did in the Old Testament. Third thing they did is they would give financially towards God's work in the temple. They come bearing gifts towards the temple. Financially, they would support everything that was happening in the life of the church. They'd make sure it was all taken care of. You know, I... Uh, I, I used to ride bicycles uh, in races. So when I was in college, I, I rode in a race called the Little 500. And it was, I went to Indiana University. It's this big race every year where you, you race and you, you go around this track. It's a bike race around a track and it's a dirt track. And, and the way the track is laid out, it's dirt. And so what happens is you go around each corner of the turn. What happens is as the riders go around, what starts with a smooth track ends up you build these grooves in it. At the beginning of the season, you've got to do hours and hours on this, on this track, just going around practicing, getting used to riding in a huddle like this, shoulder to shoulder with people, getting used to crashing and getting back on your bike. And so you've got to go around. And every time you go around a turn, what's happening is you're building another groove into that dirt path. And they don't smooth it out over the season. They don't come in and rake it out and make sure it's smooth. They leave those grooves. Those grooves are actually very important. Because when the race time comes, and when it's competition and guys are jostling for the spot, you want to make sure that when you hit the turn, you hit a groove. Your bike goes into the wedge that was made to make that turn at a high speed. That's how these rhythms are in our life. What's happening is when you take these rhythms intentionally, you build them into your life, you're forming this groove. And every time it's like a bike going through that dirt deeper and deeper and deeper so that when game day comes and when you need to hit that turn at 100 miles an hour without crashing or breaking an arm or a leg, the groove is there. You built it over time, slowly, slowly, slowly. 
We, we have a problem in our church. And the problem in the modern church is that we've sped through life at such a speed that we fail to build the grooves. We've sped through life at such a speed that we fail to realize that the Christian life is a series of habits that we take very seriously. And I, I love speaking on habits because I think sometimes we forget that habits and disciplines are so foundational to the Christian life. If we go through life without developing the habit of being in the Word and developing a habit of prayer and developing a habit of thanksgiving to God and gratitude, we never form those grooves. And then when 2020 comes, we wonder why we're out of control. But if the grooves have been laid day in, day out, annually by taking regular seasons to stop what you're doing, put work aside, to take three days, rest from work, give charity, give thanks, and just look at God and say, thank you for everything. The grooves aren't there. And then 2020 comes and you wonder why you're having such a hard time. Jesus has done so much for us that we will never fully comprehend. That leper on that day looked down at his hands like this, and he couldn't help but just stop with his jaw to the ground and, and just say, this is all too wonderful for me. I, I, this is everything I ever needed and it's so much more. It's so much mercy that I don't deserve. And the Christian is the person who looks back to Jesus and says, you've had more mercy on me than I would ever deserve. It's that simple. You've had more mercy on a sinner like me than, than I could ever deserve. I'm far more removed from you than that leper was from society. My sin has plagued every part of me. Every part of my whole body was covered in it. I had no right to get healing from you. And yet you and in your infinite mercy had mercy on a sinner like me and gave Jesus. You forgave me of all my sin. You've given me life to the full. You've given me a church family that I love. I watch you do miracles among our people all the time. You're, you're moving us. You're among us. You speak to us. You've, you've sealed eternity for us. And what Christians need to do is, is learn how to do this again. It can't be. There's no way. And if we don't stop like that leper and go right back to Jesus with our jaw to the ground over the gospel, then we're going to speed through life and we're going to miss all the reality of what Christianity is all about. This beautiful relationship with the God who's healed us more than we ever deserved. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite our band to come up. I'm going to call an audible right now. <laughs> we're going to switch things up a little bit. I was going to preach this, but rather than preaching it, we're just going to pray it. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to have a little bit of extended prayer right now. I'm going to invite you to stand up. Everybody stand up. And if you're at home right now and you're tuning in, here's what I want you to do. I know what happens when you watch sermons online. You tend to watch sermons online while you're cleaning the house and while you're doing dishes and while you're doing 10 other things. And so I'm going to ask you right now to have your undivided attention. And I'm going to ask you, if you're part of this church, I'm going to ask you to, to stand. This is for everybody in the room as well, with your hands open like this. This is going to go for a while, so get comfortable and loosen your shoulders. Just like this, if you're comfortable. This is a posture of saying, I receive from you, God. We're going to build some grooves right now, and we're going to do it biblically. I'm going to walk through five different ways that Christians ought to be thankful to God. Ought to learn how to give thanksgiving. I'm going to give some scripture around them. I'm going to give, after each one, I'm going to give you a time to just quietly, between you and God, say thanks. 
And I'm going to let him bring to mind all the things that you need to say thank you to God for in the midst of this season. The band will be playing very just gently behind me. And I invite you into a place of prayer before God right now. Let's use this time. This is your church family. We're called to thank God for the material blessings in your life. The things God's given you. 1 Chronicles 29, 12 and 13 reads this way. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all of it. In your hands are power and might. And in your hands is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name for these things. I want you to stop and I want you to think of everything in your life, whether it's your strength, whether it's the material blessings in your life, whether it's your health. And I want you to just say thank you, God. called to thank God for the people in our life. 1 Corinthians 1.4 I give thanks to my God always for you. Hear Paul's, Paul's heart. I give thanks to my God always for what? For you. The people he was writing to. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Don't let this one be a blanket prayer. Just for people with no faces on them. Right now, bring to mind people's faces in your heart who you need to stop and you need to say thank you for that person in my life. to give thanks to God in the midst of persecution and suffering. Colossians 1.12 Speaking of persecution and suffering, Paul says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He takes their eyes off of their momentary suffering and he fixes their eyes in the reality of their salvation. And he says, that causes us to give thanks to God who's qualified us. I want you to right now think about the suffering that you're going through. The hurt. The pain. I want you to think about all the things that everyone else would tell you. You have every right to be bitter about that. And maybe you do have every right to be bitter about that. And yet in the midst of that, I want you to Right now, turn and give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. It's overwhelming. thanks both when things are going great and when things are going tough. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 We give thanks in all circumstances 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Each of us not only are suffering as a result of everything going on in life, but we're people with personalities, we're people with emotions, we're people with good days and bad days and frustrating days. Paul tells us we give thanks in every one of those circumstances. I want you to think about the circumstances in your life right now. Whether it's work, whether it's something private, whether it's something to celebrate or something to cry over. And I want you to give thanks to God in the midst of it. to give thanks to God for the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. I want you right now, this is a good exercise for you. I want you to, to see Jesus on the cross. I want you to see his hands pinned with nails through them for you. I want you to see the blood dripping down that cross. See his thorny crown. See the sun turn dark. Hear Jesus Christ cry out, It is finished. Father, would you form this in us? God, we want more thankful hearts. We want to slow down. We want to be those salty people that have something inside of them that's different, a different pace, a different way, a thankfulness, a gratitude to our God. want to bring our hearts to you and, and recognize the, the leprosy of our soul that you've cleansed. And so we just say it. We say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you haven't left us. Thank you that you've got a plan for us. Thank you that you know every bit of our story, that you know every bit of our pain. Thank you that you knew about COVID a thousand, thousand years ago. Thank you, God, that you know the things that worry us and the things that we stay up late night night worrying about and you know the things that we're praying for that, that you, for some reason, have not yet answered, but you know why you haven't yet answered it. You call us to give thanks in the midst of unanswered prayers. Thank you, God, for the simplicity of Christianity, that it's not complex. It's a relationship with the living God. God, we love you. Make us that one leper who turned back and said thank you. Make that, make that us today. Form that in us today. Not just once a year on Thanksgiving. But that would that be the habit of our heart. 
that we can't help but day in, day out, week in, week out, this heart of gratitude where we come back to God with our jaw to the ground, looking at our Christ on the cross and saying, it's more than I deserve. Thank you. In Jesus' name.